This is 950 Feet Behind, a podcast about women standing out and breaking barriers in the business world. This podcast is brought to you by Outbound. Visit outboundsales.io to create your free account today. My name is Leonor, and I'll be your host for the season. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 950 Feet Behind. Today, I'm here with the VP of Genesis, the author of Moments, Magic, Miracles, and Martinis, and ranked top 35 most influential women in sales, the one and only Amy Slater. Thank you so much for joining me, Amy. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure to host this conversation. So Amy, um, I'll start with a signature question uh, in this podcast, which is from the very beginning, right, of your life, when you were a little girl, what is the first thing you remember wanting to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an ice skater. So I wanted to be in the I wanted to be in the Olympics. I wanted to be in the Olympics as an ice skater. Uh, I was not very good, but I used to when I would fall asleep at night. I would want to dream about being an ice skater. I'm not sure. I just it was the time of Dorothy Hamill. Um, for those of you who are as old as I am, and uh, I was just fascinated by that. So as a little girl, that was my first my first dream. And you actually tried it. I, I did some ice skating lessons. I was I was too afraid to jump in the air, so I was never going to the Olympics. <laughs> okay, okay. And then growing up, did you start having other ideas of what your professional future uh, could look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I started thinking about um, becoming a lawyer. That was an interesting, it was a very, it was an identified profession. Uh, and it had, you know, at the time people respected lawyers and I, it was something that I, I, I imagined. And I actually, in college, I did uh, an internship at a law firm and decided I didn't want to go into law. <laughs> did you just not like it or? Yeah, I just, uh, I, I, I think it was, um, it was maybe, maybe too, uh, at the time it was, it felt too rigid and not as creative as I thought I might want to be uh, in my in my career. I never envisioned a career in sales. I always envisioned being in a, in a leadership role. And uh, I always say that I think sales chose me. Uh, I, it wasn't really the other way around. Yes, we, that, that's actually the experience with all our guests. And some of them say no one dreams of being a salesperson yeah. uh, in the future. But then when you kind of get into it, you understand the potential and the passion and everything that you can do inside our role. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's quite common. And um, talking about college, you were part of a fraternity, correct? Delta, Delta, yes, a Delta. Sorority. Yes, a sorority for women. Yes. Uh, I was I was involved in that for about three years of my four years in college. I ended up um, canceling out of it. They call it deactivating. It just wasn't my my cup of tea. I had gone to an all girls school from uh, in my junior high and high school years, and so then being a part of a sorority was just more and more uh, about about women. But I enjoyed it at the time and. Um, made some good, made some good friends. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just a short, short, little short period of time. It gave me a sense of community. And that's really, I think, um, what's foundational to me is creating 
um, bonds uh, in a in a broader community. And so that was really my intention when I joined when I joined the sorority. That was actually what I uh, wanted to get to. So you were part of an all girls school, then uh, you joined the sorority. Uh, what did that teach you about women and about the way women can help women and support women? Yeah, I think, and I was having this conversation with one of my daughters last night at dinner, and I never really thought, I think because I was always around women, I never really thought that there was a difference in, I mean, I know there are differences between men and women, but in terms of business, I just, I just worked hard. So when I went to an all girls school, it wasn't that boys were raised their hands and got chosen more to speak because we were all women. And I think being in these communities, um, I was able to use my voice and never feel that I couldn't. And so I, I really believe it was tremendous um, foundational learning for me that I have a voice and didn't really matter when I moved into the business world. I didn't see it as, oh, I'm a woman, I should keep my mouth shut or anything like that. Uh, it was, I use my voice. And I believe that I've spent my career uh, promoting that with other women, particular women that are earlier in their career is about using your voice and having a strong voice, having conviction, and that what you have to say matters. Absolutely, absolutely. And also something I read about you that really intrigued me is uh, in your website, if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned that you used to write on a journal at 10 years old about friendship dynamics, what boys you had crushes on would think of you. And then something that to me seemed uh, even more intriguing was your desire to be perfect. Mm -hmm. How did that grow with you um, as you started to become older, more mature in college and then in the business world? I'd say it took a long time to realize that perfection was not an end state, that, uh, that there was growth in not being perfect and who's to define what perfect is. And I think I realized that uh, as I was going through some more difficult times, uh, those are some things I explore in my book. Uh, when I was going through more difficult times, I realized that that vision or image of what perfection was, was sort of a farce. And it was just what I had imagined in my mind was supposed, what I was supposed to do or who I was supposed to be. And so, um, the perfection was actually very crippling. That desire for perfection was actually uh, paralyzing when I was younger, because if it just wasn't perfect, then I was defeated. And so um, it, to some extent, it can help you push yourself and um, to be motivated. At the same time, I think it, it can actually be a, a deterrent for growth if it's too much of a focus on perfection. Yes, I, I think you, you have a very valid point there because you'll you'll never get there. So the, the frustration that will come with it uh, will just stop you from trying eventually. Mm -hmm. um, so it is a very interesting journey to hear of someone, you know, who learns that not being perfect is actually ultimately more productive mm -hmm. and, and better for you and better for others. And 
you had a career from a very early stage that was what anyone would kind of deem as perfect. I have here written down names such as AT&T, Cisco, Salesforce. You were in all the big giants. How did that feel? How was that experience for you? What I think it taught me was the power of brand and how important it is to live up to the brand. And so early in my career, um, it's, it, was a, it helped get in the door, especially when you're selling, when you have the brand, but also the incredible responsibility, certainly as I grew in my career, the responsibility to live up to the brand, to raise the brand, because what is the brand? What is one of the most important things about a company's brand? It's the people. It's the people that represent the company that are doing the work. And when I think about the work that I'm doing today with Genesis around agents and contact center, many times those individuals in the various contact centers of our customers, they might be the first connection that a customer makes with a company. And that first impression is so important. And that's why at, at Genesis, we really focus on providing our customers with that you know, education around empathy and how do we um, improve the customer experience. And so for me, in terms of the various companies uh, that I have worked for, I also learned a lot about the journey and the growth of a, of an, of a company, similar to a growth of a child. You have, to, you have to crawl before you walk, walk before you run. And I would start to see recognizable patterns in each company because companies, to be honest, we're all, we're all the same. The companies are the same. You're selling something different. You have different people and you may have different values, but the things that you need to grow and develop, they're the same. And so you see, you start to recognize patterns in companies so that when you move to a new company, you say, oh, I've seen that before. And does that help you and motivate you the fact that you have been through it and you, you know things will go right because they have the same ingredients? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's not, it's not as scary, you know, especially if you're somewhere and something isn't working and you work to fix it. Then if you go to a new company, you say, oh, yeah, I've, se I've seen that before. I think I know what to do, or I know what not to do, uh, as the case might be. And so it, um, it provides a sense of comfort and it's familiar. It becomes familiar. And there were times when I went to a little bit of companies that were a little bit smaller, but I had the wisdom that I learned from the other companies that then I could bring to the table to, uh, to, a, smaller, to a smaller organization to help them, to help them grow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned before that being brought up with women around you made you have a voice and that later on helped you in the business world. Do you think that discrimination against women uh, and particularly against women in sales didn't exist or were you just able to fight it better? I don't even know that I was terribly aware of it. I mean, there were, don't get me wrong, I wasn't naive to think that it didn't exist, but I just, I just worked hard. I just worked hard and did my job. Was I 
frustrated or something. If I saw someone got a benefit that I didn't, maybe, but I thought, well, then what didn't I do and what should I do differently? And certainly there's other kinds of discrimination and, you know, comments that get made because you're a woman and sometimes with clients and, and things, or someone would say, oh, well, you got that deal because he, he, he liked you or because you're a woman or something. And I just sort of say, oh, okay. And I, I just didn't fight it. It just, I'm, I'm not a fighter in that, in that way. I have great friends that are women. I have great friends and colleagues that are men. And I just, I just didn't put it on the list as something that I needed to fight or fight for. And if I saw something that was not, uh, that I didn't appreciate, I would walk away. I have left companies because of things like that. And so you just walk away, you choose, you choose and say, I don't, I don't need to stay here if I feel this way. And, but I, uh, I didn't ever view these things as a, as a roadblock because it just wasn't in my, in my vernacular. I worked hard. I've always worked hard. I had hardworking parents and I used that as a model for what I wanted. And I just wanted to make an impact. I wanted to make an impact, you know, for others around me. A lot of early in career women have come to me and ask for the recipe. How did you get here? I'm like, I just did. I I didn't say I want to go there. And I mean, I certainly had aspirations, career aspirations, but it was not so focused and defined. It was just keep doing a good job, pay attention to industry trends and continue uh, to, to add value. And that's what I really focused on. So do you think that even though there is a typically more uh, male-oriented roles or uh, fields, if you may, if you work hard and if you're a really good person at what you do, if you're a top salesperson or whatever area it might be, that it'll come to a point in which it's undeniable uh, that they should keep you and promote you and that you should rise up? Yeah, I believe so. And, and if they don't go someplace else, go someplace where you are valued and, 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 and don't be, and not to be afraid to make, to make that change. And so it, because we can't necessarily change the way certain people, you know, there's some people that are just have a certain, you know, culture, um, or what have you that you won't change it. Um, and it doesn't mean that you just resign yourself. I'm not a believer of that either. Um, but we have choices and that's the other, that's what I talk to, you know, young women and, uh, about, and even, and to men, we have choices you can choose. And, uh, we have talents and skill sets and passions, all of those things that, that we have a choice. We don't need to just wait to be picked or to be chosen. Um, that's one of my things is always, oh, I want to be chosen. Pick me, pick me. But it's up to me. I have a choice too. When you're in an interview for a job, we all worry about, you know, will they pick me? Well, the interview goes both ways. I've had periods of time in my life where I've been in an interview and I'm trying to prove myself and prove myself. And then I've reflected as I've gotten longer in my career and said, do I want to work there? It does, even if they want me, do I 
want to work there. And I've chosen not to work at places too. And that's, then that's, I think, important for women to understand. Don't just take it because it's offered. And I think that's, I think that is very, very important uh, to reiterate. Um, I think people sometimes get so much pressure to, to work, to be out there, to be productive, that they don't think of themselves as someone who does have a choice. And it's mm -hmm. not just a company choosing them, they are choosing companies as well. Uh, and I'd hope that's something we'll see in the future that people are doing a two-way interview, also trying to understand, does that role fit me? Does the culture fit me? Are we a fit, both of us, and not just, will you choose me or someone else? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, 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 when, and when changing jobs, and I've had a lot of conversations with people about this, and other people talk about it, not just me, is make sure you're going towards something, not running from. If you're running away from a job, into another, um, you may not be making the right choice. Make sure that the new job is something that you're going to, you're not just trying to get out of, of a situation and to take, to take your time in making that decision. Yeah, absolutely. And you uh, were saying before that you're having a conversation with your uh, daughter at dinner. So when you became a mother, did you feel like the workplace was supportive of the motherhood process? Not like it is today. Not like it is today. But again, I'm just of the belief that, you know, we're, we're, we're in this, in the situation, you know, that we're in and, and I, I love being a mom and I also love working. And so I worked within the structure that was provided and over time it's gotten more favorable for women to take more time off to do these things. But I didn't feel, I, I guess part of it is I didn't know anything different. I got more than the women that preceded me in terms of time off. So to me, when you look at the, you know, how uh, we women are in the workplace, the improvements just progress, they progress over time. Am I better off or worse than someone who came before me? And can I help pave the way for the women that come after me? And that's really how I view it is, what am I doing as a, as a role model, as a mentor, um, as someone to inspire other women to make their lives better and to, to help them make choices that I maybe didn't know to make when I was their age, but I know to do it now. So trying to impart some of that experience um, that I've had over the years. And so I look at it as, are we moving forward? And in some cases we do move forward, in some cases we move back. But what am I doing my part to help move and help move women forward uh, in, in the workplace in particular? And I guess uh, at the end of the day, that's all that matters, right? Our best is all we can do. And I, I agree with what you say. Uh, I now I'm very passionate about this case of women rights and women rights in the corporate world. Um, and I used to be passionate about it for me. Now that I have a daughter as well, I think more of paving the way for her so that she doesn't have to have these conversations in the future. Uh, so I think that also thinking of who came before and who will come after you 
and not just you exclusively is the right way to achieve progress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you pretty much uh, by the book, you had it all Uh, big roles, big companies. Well, you were a mother and everything was going okay in that sense. But then there was a time in your life in which things kind of changed and you went through some challenges. Do you want to clarify that and tell us how it impacted you? Yeah. So kind of in, you know, I don't know if you call it midlife, but in my, you know, early 40s, certainly have had, you know, three children I've been working a lot. Um, and but also making, of course, making time for family and things started. So I had, you know, uh, marriage started to go the wrong direction. And my father was diagnosed with the terminal illness of Lewy body dementia and Parkinson's. And um, I've chronically had uh, IBS, uh, intestinal kinds of issues for a good portion of my life. And during stressful times gets worse and can be quite debilitating. And so trying to keep all of those things together, that's sort of when, you know, to reflect on what you asked about perfection. I had to let go of that image of what I was putting out there to the world. And I think that's also really important. And I see more and more women um, sharing a more vulnerable side. And I think that's really important. And I just, I I pretty much crashed. Um, And... But I, but I had at one point I realized, I realized that I did, you know, have to, to make changes and, and I hired a a coach and, um, really just sort of reflect on the things that mattered uh, to me and how do I find, um, positive things even in a time of, of struggle. And that's what I focused on. I, I finally focused on, okay, what can I do to heal myself and, and, and turn sort of a, a dark time into something, um, that was brighter and, and find those things because it wasn't serving me to be, to be a victim uh, of these things. And then to take the learnings and share them with others. And that was really the impetus for my book was to share my learnings of how, uh, the subtitle of the book is How to Move Forward in Times of Uncertainty. And it's about six years since I wrote the book and published it. And what time has been more uncertain for us in our, you know, right now in the last three years. And I wrote it three years prior to that about my own uncertainty. And that, when I wrote it, it's what is w- one thing we all have in common? We have all faced uncertainty. I don't think I know a single human that has always been certain. There is always uncertainty, uh, uncertainty around us, uncertainty in our economy, in our uh, environment, all of the different things. And that's one thing that we have in common. So let's share, let's find what we have in common, not necessarily always, we focus a lot on, on celebrating our differences, which I think is fabulous. But what about celebrating our similarities? share our similarities. We all wake up and put our, you know, shoes and socks on in the morning or what have you. We all wake up at some point and go to bed. So let's share some of those things. And that's where I have found a lot of growth in celebrating similarities with others, even difficult similarities. 
like divorce, uh, illness, all, you know, those kinds of things, parenting. <laughs> and when you, when you shared uh, your experience, your story and some vulnerability and try to find those similarities, uh, how did it make you feel to, well, be an actual open book and have your experience out there for others to be able to connect with you? Yeah, it's a great, that's a fabulous question because once it was published, I remember um, someone, a, a man that I worked with in a company said to me, well, now I'm going to get to know the real you. And I said, you do know the real me because I am, I am, I am who I am. And so I thought, huh, it was just kind of interesting. And so it was a little intimidating, but I thought, what can I do? You know, this is, this is who I am and I can't, you know, uh, prevent certain people from reading my book. So I can't put it on a secret list and let only certain people read it. And what I found is the amazing connections. I mean, I wrote it six years ago and, you know, it doesn't sell a million copies or anything, but the other day on LinkedIn, a young gentleman wrote a message and said, I'm not writing to you to try to pitch you something or to sell you anything. I wanted to thank you for writing that book because it gave me new confidence in myself. Ah, that's adorable. That's why I wrote the book to make a difference. And it, you know, and it, and it, and I wrote it six years ago, but the fact that someone picked it up and he felt somehow better knowing that he wasn't alone. Yes. I think that when you realize that what you're going through, you're not the only person in the world that's going through it and that others have and have overcome it. It gives you a sense of empowerment, doesn't it? Like mm -hmm. I'll get through this as well. Yeah. I was in a, I was in a bookstore when I first launched it. I happened to be in Florida. I was doing a, a talk show um, about the book when it launched and I happened to be in uh, a Barnes and Noble or something. And the book was there on the shelf and I saw uh, a young person picking up the book and I said, oh, you know, I said, I am the author of that book. And she was reading the back and she said, my brother has struggled with IBS his whole life. I want to get this book for him. Just standing there in the aisles of the book. And then when I was at the, I went to buy one, I think, and the woman at the, at the counter said her father or mother had Lewy body dementia and how she could relate to it. And so it's just fascinating how many things we all do have in common and that we can share that and that there's comfort, that there's comfort in knowing that there's someone who came before you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's very, very important that we, we share more, we allow ourselves to be more open and also allow other people to, well, come into our life and teach us that they've gone through things. Mm -hmm. so I feel like lately with the pandemic and everything, we've all become a bit isolated and inside our own bubbles of suffering or happiness or whatever mm -hmm. it is that we're going through. And if, if we bust them and open up to the world out there, things would just get so much easier. Mm -hmm. the, the bad wouldn't be so bad and, and the good would potentially become even better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's, I think that's spot on. 
And then after the book, you had your own business um, for a while. How is starting your own business and trying to make it work? How did you feel as well, a CEO? Yeah, so uh, it was very inspiring um, and scary. It was also very scary because I talked about I worked for some big brands and those brands got me in the door many times. When you go out on your own business and do your own business, I became the brand. And so I had to spend a lot of time because people maybe knew me as, you know, she works at Amy Slater. She works for Salesforce. Amy Slater, she works for Cisco. And so that sort of gives you a little cachet to say, look at my business card. Well, now it's Amy Slater. Amy Slater Consulting. <laughs> she works for Amy Slater. She is Amy Slater. And so I spend quite a bit of time having to develop my brand about me. And so I hired someone who's the one who did my website. I've done a few renditions of my website and really helped me. And he used to say, he said, I need more photos of you on Instagram. I need more photos of you on LinkedIn. I said, no, no, stop, stop. He said, they need a face. They want to hear you. And so he created this hashtag, uh, Slater Says. It was hashtag Slater Says. And I had different quotes and memes and things like that. And my oldest daughter had just gone into the business world and worked for a company. And uh, a number of her friends followed me on LinkedIn and in the morning, they'd say Slater says or whatever. So I know she was completely embarrassed, uh, but it stuck. And I would get people that said, oh my gosh, I needed to hear that today. And so I built my brand around positive mindset and, and, and a growth mindset. And so that then became who I am because I'd already established what I could do, and that's what I've done in my career, but I hadn't really established my own personal brand or put it out there and kind of named my brand. So I do a number of, um, I've done a number of talks and presentations and, uh, and things uh, about developing your own personal brand, because at some point it is no longer about the company you work for, it's about you. And especially in sales, because people are buying from you. Um, that's the company is important. They're buying a product, but you're the face. You're the face of that of that company. Yeah, yeah, I can I can understand what you're saying. That's very uh, no, that's very interesting because when you think of companies, sometimes you think of the brand, and even in the corporate world, you say, "Oh, I just had a call with company name." Mm -hmm. Not, I just had a call with person name. Mm -hmm. And when you learn to promote yourself as a brand, you can make a name for yourself because you also matter. It's not mm -hmm. just the, the logo behind you. Yeah. And it's one thing that I also encourage women is it's okay to promote yourself. That that's because it was very uncomfortable for me because you feel like you're bragging or you know, look at me, you know, look at me on this and that. But, you know, women, you need to be more comfortable. Men are more comfortable with it. Uh, and women need to learn from that. 
And there are all kinds of studies that will show that the dif- the difference that men, even if they don't have the capability, they will say they do with confidence and people believe them. Not that they're liars, but they might exaggerate, but they're, they have, they exude confidence. Whereas a woman might downplay her success for fear of coming off arrogant. And so I'm not suggesting that women be arrogant, but lead with confidence that you, you're, you, you deserve that promotion. You've earned that promotion and not to uh, downplay your accomplishments and your success. And women usually are very self-aware of their flaws, but then when there's something they achieve, that's tangibly true. It's not bragging. It's, it's true. You, you didn't lie about it. Yeah, it's a fact. So why is putting it out there going to make you sound arrogant if it's just something you've done and everyone knows you've done and you can prove you've done it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes that plays in favor of men uh, because they'll, and we were talking about this with another guest, they won't say no to a promotion. They'll be like, of course, of course I can do it. And a woman will probably sit back and think and consider and Try not to disappoint, try to be perfect at it instead of taking the chance and just, well, trying it out. If it doesn't work, she can try something else. Mm -hmm. And you hear a lot about it. And I just was reading something uh, about it the other day. You hear a lot of women talk about imposter syndrome. And I'm sure maybe some other people you've spoken with have talked about that. The feeling that, how did I get here? I don't have the credentials. How is it that I can be in this position? because I haven't done this, this, and this. And so there's that feeling that you can't live up to what people think, who people think you are and that you, I must be an imposter. I'll fake it till I make it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's actually not true, right? It's all in our heads. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I am very, very happy to be chatting with you. Unfortunately, as it is my fashion, I'm already over time, uh, but I do have one last question for you. Um, as a woman in business, as a sales leader, as a mother, what are your hopes for the future of work, the future of workplace for fellow women and, and fellow moms? Mm-hmm. That I think it's really important. You know, there's that whole concept of, oh, you can do it all. Well, it, it and just and the idea of work life balance it doesn't ex- it doesn't exist and in particular with people working from home finding that balance you know people think that could be easy because you're not driving off to the office it actually can be more difficult and so what i think as we grow into the future and if we are spending more time working from home create natural transitions between work and home that if you're done for the day Make the transition since you don't maybe get a drive home where you get to listen to the music for half an hour or I had an hour and a half commute. When you're done working, if you have small kids and someone else is watching them, go take a walk for 30 minutes and come back. I'm home. Make the transition between work and your personal and your home as opposed to them being one in the same. I think it's really important to keep that distinction for your mental health that because you could, it can become all work 
and and keep the spaces separate. And sometime you may work more in a day and other times you may work less. Overall, if you can find an equilibrium that makes that makes you happy, then that's then that's what matters. And so really take that time to decompress when you're done with work before you then just go do this, do the mom thing, do the mom thing too. Um, because your kids grow up fast. Um, I have one that just got married. Another one is, you know, in her career and another one is now a senior in high school. So it goes by very fast. Um, you'll know that when you see yours grow. <laughs> in a couple of years, I'll, I'll do the 950 feet behind my kid is grown up edition. Yeah, and I'll exactly. say I had a guest, Amy Slater, and she told me it was true and I didn't believe it. Exactly. Amy, it was an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for joining me once again. Likewise. Thank you.